Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. Few of you. Glad you're here, um, man. I just, it's it's good. It's good to be home. My my family and I are really glad to be home. For those of you who are new to our Pillar family, uh, my wife Linnea, uh, right here down front, um, and and our three children, Emma, who's next door, Owen's next next door, Johnny's right here. Hi, Johnny. Hey, buddy. Um, we just got back from a summer sabbatical um, in the States, and I, j- I just want to say this at the top. Our sabbatical was made possible by your kind generosity. It, just, it would not have happened without you, our family, uh, giving so generously and really in some unexpected ways. So I want you to know that as a family, uh, we were deeply encouraged and humbled uh, by your extravagant generosity. Everywhere we went this summer, everything we did, um, every meal we ate, was a reminder of how kind our Father is to us through you. Um, the gifts that you gave us allowed us to take this trip and see people that we hadn't seen in years and uh, introduce our kids to some of our roots um, back in the States. So it was, just a, it was a really sweet and kind gift. And I want you to know from the bottom of our hearts how uh, deeply humbled we were by that and how grateful we are. So thank you. Uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful gift. And the trip is one that we uh, and will undoubtedly always remember. So thank you. But we're glad to be home. And this morning, we're going to complete our summer journey through the book of James. And in my absence, several different men preached. And I just, I just want to take a moment to thank um, each one of them. Uh, two of them are not here because they serve outside of our pillar family. First is Brett Rail. He's our good friend from Christ Bible Institute. Uh, in Nagoya. He came down and preached in my absence. And secondly, um, another man who's not here this morning because he's preaching somewhere else is Rick Barnett. Uh, Rick pastors Calvary Chapel here on island. And um, man, I have deep respect for Rick. Rick is one of the longest serving pastors on this island. He probably is the longest serving pastor on this island. He's a faithful man, and he's the kind of shepherding pastor uh, that every younger pastor should aspire to emulate. I really love him and have deep respect for him. And uh, I commend that church to you. If you're new to the island and you're doing your due diligence and seeing what churches are here and finding the best fit for your family, if you leave today and you're like, yeah, Pillar, Pillar wasn't it, but I'm glad he mentioned another church. Um, there are other churches I could commend to you, and I'm happy to do that uh, for you in person. Uh, but since we're talking about Rick Barnett, I, I highly commend Rick as a pastor and uh, the family that is Calvary Chapel uh, here in Okinawa. I commend them to you. Several of our elders preached. Uh, John Simberger was one of them. Are you in here? There you are. John is our executive pastor and um, aspiring church planner. I really think, um, God willing, he will be one of our first gospel to Okinawa church planters, along with his wife, Melissa and Mahari, and soon to be the other one. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm really excited about that, but John, thank you. Uh, John wasn't the only uh, of our elders to preach, uh, along with Kyle Kleekamp, who was here in the first worship gathering, Michael Hewitt right behind John, and Ron Koya about halfway back there. Guys, I just want to say thank you for uh, faithfully serving Jesus by serving our family well. And then two men who are not elders within our family, and actually neither of them are here right now. One of them was here in the first service, but the other one is now suffering in Coronado. Um, that'd be Stephen 
Griffin, the Griffin's PCS to California recently, um, and Hal Jones, Hal, uh, Hal and his wife Emmy are still here. So Stephen and, and Hal, thank you uh, for your faithfulness. And also they tag team together to care for the one member of our family who didn't go on the sabbatical with us this summer, and that's my motorcycle, and they cared for it all summer long. Very, yeah, very nice of them. So thanks, guys. All right, you ready to do some work? We'll get into James. Let me pray, and then we will wrap this series. Father, we thank you um, that you are a good father. Some of us in this room have had good fathers here on earth, uh, none of them perfect, but some of them good, and some of us have had poor experiences, even bad experiences with our Father here on earth. And maybe some of us have not even had an experience with a Father. So we thank you that in Christ we're adopted into a family, a family marked by and characterized by a perfect Father, a faithful Father, a good Father whose heart does not stop in coming after us. We thank you for that beautiful gift. We know you come after us not because we're good kids or perfect kids or even desirable kids. You come after us because you love us in Christ, and you've made a commitment to us that you will keep us forever in your family, not because of us, but because of your character, your reputation, and your goodness. And so we thank you. And Father, if there's anybody here this morning who, who just, they know they've not yet been adopted into this family, and they don't know you as Father, I pray that very soon, even today, uh, they would know the beautiful gift of faith and coming to know you as a dad knowing the peace of, of being reconciled to you through Christ and the joy of being a forever member of your family. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so James is gonna conclude his letter in much the same way as he began. He began by bringing attention to our lack of wisdom when life gets tough. Remember, he starts out talking about trials and the very first thing he says about hard times in life is, um, if you lack wisdom in the difficult season of life, he's just being nice. He's saying you are going to lack wisdom in the difficult seasons of life. So he, he brings attention to our lack of wisdom when life gets tough, and then he points us to our father who enjoys giving his children what they lack. That's who our dad is. He enjoys giving his children what they lack. And so James says, pray. Ask your father for what you lack because he delights in giving generously. He, that's his reputation. He gives generously. He does not hold back when his kids ask by faith for what they lack. We're going to see that same pattern here in the conclusion. We lack, we have need, but our father is kind and generous. So James is going to say the same thing he did uh, at the very beginning. is to say, pray, talk to your dad, ask your dad, tell him, I need help. Now, based on the way that James opens and closes his letter, uh, we might conclude that James really wants us to understand that Christian maturity is not about increasing your self-sufficiency, your self-reliance, your independence, or your autonomy. In fact, just the opposite, actually. Maturity in God's family is marked by increasing dependence on our Father it's marked by an increasing reliance on Jesus, our older brother and rescuing king. And maturity in God's family is marked by increasing submission to his spirit. Not the ability to be increasingly submissive to my feelings and my sense of things because I've grown in wisdom and man, I really have a handle on life now, but actually the opposite awareness of just how much with each passing day, how much more I need to submit myself to the spirit and not to myself. 
There's one more element, though. Maturity in our father's family is marked by an increasing, robust participation in the life of his family, not autonomy, not casual attendance on a Sunday morning, but otherwise disengagement throughout the week. You're like, well, I don't, where do you get that from, John? Here, here's one of the places we can get that from if we're just sticking to James. We already talked about how he opens and closes, right? Our need, good father who gives and doesn't hold back. Those are the bookends. Everything in between is essentially our relationship with each other in community and how our family is to relate to those who are outside of the father's family. That's James, right? Opens up with need, good father who gives. Closes with need, good father who gives. You need him and you need his family. We uh, are designed to live together dependent on our father and dependent upon uh, the family that he has adopted us into. So maturity is not needing God or his family less. Maturity is realizing my need even more and running to him and pressing into the life of his family with greater frequency and fervor. All right, so with that, let's read our passage, uh, James 5, 13 through 20. And while we, while we read, just I would encourage you to look for that emphasis that we just discussed. I think he's going to word it differently. There's a little bit of different focus here, but I think it's going to feel to you an awful lot like the opening of James. Um, I have need, but I have a good father who gives and doesn't hold back, so pray. Here we go, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. Let those words rest on you guys. Just think about that for a minute. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering back to the family will save that person's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. All right, so I did a little work this week to summarize that passage in a sentence. So here's my sentence. It's a little long, but it is a sentence. Here it is. Our Father generously helps gives, heals, and forgives. So by faith, we pray. By faith, we praise. By faith, we confess. And by faith, we pursue wandering family members. Let me just give it to you one more time because it's not just my summary sentence. That's our outline for today, okay? Here we go. Our Father generously helps, gives, heals, and forgives. So by faith, we pray. By faith, we praise. By faith, we confess. And by faith, we pursue wandering family members. All right, so let's break that down a piece, of, a piece at a time as we uh, wrap this last portion of James. Uh, for starters, our Father generously helps, so by faith we pray. Uh, it's obvious, uh, verse 13, James begins with a question. It's a simple question, very straightforward. He, he, said, he asks, is anyone among you suffering? 
Is anyone among you suffering? We could say it this way. Is anyone among you this morning who just read this letter, are any of you enduring any hardship? Are any of you here this morning feeling distressed? If you are, James encourages you, implores you really to pray. Sometimes that word pray, we're a little numb to that word, unfortunately. And to us, it feels little more... We, we, I think the, the, the gut response is guilt when we hear the word pray because none of us pray very well or very faithfully. Or, and we're kind of, we're very aware of that. We very rarely admit it publicly. We just kind of assume that all the people around me in church just pray like they breathe, but most of us don't. So guilt is very often associated with this word. Uh, but let's, it's also kind of a depersonalized word. Like it's just a religious thing I do that I have to do, but let's personalize it like the Bible personalizes it. Praying is a very personal act. You're having a conversation with the father who adopted you into a family and forgave you. It's, it's, it's me expressing my soul to my dad. So James would implore you, if you're here this morning and you're suffering, you're enduring hardship, you're feeling distressed, You've got to talk to your father because we have a father who helps generously. I like James's question. Um, it's important to us because many of us rarely slow down long enough or turn down the volume low enough on our distractions so that we can ask and answer this question thoughtfully. Now, you're like, no, nah, I don't know about that, John, because like, for those of you who are in here and you're suffering, it's, it's intuitive. You don't have to ask yourself, am I suffering? You, you know you're suffering. But what I'm getting at is in the increasing awareness that you're suffering, or even maybe as it's creeping up on you and it's not a crescendo yet, are we slowing down and turning the volume down so that we can ask and answer thoughtfully in this way? Um, am I suffering? Uh, yes. yes. Yes, I am suffering. And in fact, many of you here this morning, you know you're acutely aware of the suffering that you're experiencing. But then asking the next questions. All right, I'm, I'm suffering. What is the cause of my suffering? What is the reason for uh, this pain in my life? Why do I feel distressed? What is the hardship that I'm enduring? Not just stopping with, man, I'm suffering, but teasing it out and really getting behind the suffering. What is the cause of my suffering? And then the next question, have I told my dad? Like, have I actually verbally, out loud, expressed to my father, I'm suffering, this hurts, I can't bear this, and um, honestly express to your father exactly how you feel in the midst of this pain. Dad, I, I don't like this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose this for myself. I don't understand why you're allowing this into my life. Dad, I know you say you're good. I know I've experienced your goodness before, but I don't feel your goodness right now, and it, it hurts. I'm doubting that you're a good father. And as we are expressing all of those things honestly to our dad, asking him for help daily is really what James is getting. This is a daily norm for followers of Jesus. The words that should be just flowing off of our lips um, day after day, dad, I need your help. And I know you, you promised to give generously to those who ask. I need you to give me your help, Dad. I need you to hold my, your hand out and pick me up. Dad, I feel alone and you feel distant. I need you. I'm scared. I'm sad. I'm lonely. I'm breaking. I'm broken. I like James's question because it reminds us 
reminds our family that it is okay to ask and answer this question together as a family. No faking, no pretending. One of the most unfortunate realities about church and our culture is there's this assumption for both followers of Jesus and people who are not followers of Jesus. Church is this place where you go that you have to put on a smile and force a laugh and make small talk, and you've got to have it all together or at least give people the idea that you're good That is so anti-gospel and so counter to the culture that the father desires for his family. This is just James telling us up front that nobody has it all together. Nobody goes through life without answering yes to this question over and over and over and over again. Is anyone among us suffering this morning? Yeah, for sure. Deeply, profoundly, in ways that you haven't expressed to other people in this room. Probably most in here are so unaware of your suffering, and maybe you have not even yet expressed it to your your father. So let's do that together this morning, using the words of David from Psalm 34, where David expresses, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Let's pray that to our father. Dad, this morning... There are some people, some family members, your sons and your daughters that need their cries to be heard. Father, please hear us on behalf of those who are suffering. You promised to deliver us from our trouble. I pray that our brothers and our sisters who feel like they are drowning in their trouble would know your presence and would know deliverance from you today. Father, you promised to be near the brokenhearted in our family, but we have brokenhearted in our family who fail very far away from you. So I pray that in Christ, you would come near and that your presence would be unmistakable. We know you're there, but we can't hear you or feel you for the noise or the pain that that perhaps we're drowning in right now. Be near. Father, there are those this morning who have a crushed spirit. They They need saving from that. We can't do this for each other. It's only something that you can do. And so we pray that you would restore life and save those who are crushed in spirit. And we pray this morning that your touch would be unmistakable. We realize it may be experienced slowly over moments and quietly over moments, not in the way that we would choose, but we pray that your presence and your voice and your touch would be increasingly obvious to those here this morning who are hurting. Father, we pray this trusting you, you're good, and for your name's sake, in Jesus' name, amen. So what are we to ask for when we pray in the midst of our suffering? Certainly we can and should pray for removal. The apostle Paul did. He had a thorn in the flesh that he despised. He did not like. So what he asked dad to do? Can you please take this away from me? He asked multiple times. Even Jesus, before he was crucified, he knew the agony that was facing him, and he said, Dad, if there is any other way, could there be another way? He asked for the the coming pain to be removed. But the Father didn't remove Paul's pain, did he? He didn't remove Jesus out of that suffering. He carried both of them through. And that's the emphasis that we see in James. We saw this at the very beginning. James tells us when we face trials, 
He actually tells us to pray for wisdom to endure. And what he means by that, the wisdom is the capacity to trust that my dad is good and remains good in the midst of a season where I don't feel that goodness and I don't see it and it makes no sense to me. Pray for wisdom to endure. Pray for patience. We saw that last week. Placing my ultimate hope in the return of our King, Jesus, when he will, at that time future, redeem all of our suffering, the suffering that makes no sense right now. He will redeem it all, and he will make all the sad things come untrue. James says, pray for wisdom, pray for patience, pray and ask your Father for help. Our Father generously helps, so by faith as his family, we pray. He may remove us out of that suffering, and he may not, but his promise is, son, daughter, I will personally carry you through this suffering, and I will be there with you every moment it hurts. Our Father generously helps. Our Father also generously gives. So by faith, we not only pray, we praise. We sing songs of praise. James asks another question in verse 13. He says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Man, this question is just as important for my soul and your soul as the first. It doesn't feel as weighty as talking about pain and suffering and asking our dad for help, but it is just as weighty. It is just as important for our souls. It's a reminder to me that if for any reason I'm cheerful, for any encouragement in my life, for any gladness, I owe all thanks to my good Father. In fact, James told us earlier in the letter, in chapter 1, verse 17, he said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. That's your dad. Every good is from your Father. He gets all the credit for, my, for all my gladness, and so we need to ask ourselves, when is the last time that I consciously stopped to ask myself and to list off all of the reasons for which I have gladness and joy and encouragement, and then responded the way that James calls us to, with songs of praise to our Father for his kindness to us? Even in our seasons of suffering, we can ask this question. Or maybe we should say better, especially in our seasons of suffering, we need to be asking this question and answering it and, try, and just meagerly. Doesn't, again, no fake, no fake joy, no fake happiness. You can tell your dad honestly that you don't like your life circumstances in the midst of pain, still thanking him for the, the glimmers of good that you see in your life and it will be medicine for your soul. Are you cheerful? Are you glad? Are you encouraged? What are the reasons for your cheer? What are the reasons for your gladness? What are the reasons for your encouragement? Every single one of those is a good and kind gift from your Father. When we wrestle with dissatisfaction, our hearts don't need more gifts or better gifts. Remember the Christmases as a child where it was all opened up? And what was the one sense you felt? That was weak. Like dissatisfaction, there's got to be one more, there's got to be better. And we wrestle with that in every aspect of life, don't we? Relationships, jobs, fine, you name it, that's the tendency of our heart. And so when we wrestle with dissatisfaction, our hearts don't need more gifts or better gifts or different gifts. Your kids don't need one more gift and neither do you. Our hearts need more God-focused gratitude and our lips need to give voice to that gratitude and so this is one of the primary reasons that we sing together every time we gather for worship. I mean, really, is there any other social setting you go to where you sit around or stand and sing three to five songs together weekly? No, except for those of you who are karaoke and that's just its own 
weird thing that some of you love. Go with the Frees. Go with the Free family. They're crazy. Um, but we do. We sing. One, because our Father deserves the thanks, the praise. But two, because it's good for our hearts. And so, Grant, I want to say to you, like I said in the first, worst, first uh, gathering, a thank you for helping us praise our Father well. Uh, in all of our travels this summer, we were in a lot of different churches and a lot of different settings, and we were led by a lot of different uh, worship leaders. And while I'm thankful for each one of them, every one of them reminded me of how thankful I am that God has uh, given you, Grant, to lead our family because you lead us well and you lead us humbly uh, to regularly give thanks back to our dad. So I appreciate that. And hey, speaking of singing during our gathering, some Sundays you will walk in more acutely aware of your suffering than your father's gifts to you. You're not ready to sing praise. And what I want to say to you is, that's okay. Your father wants you to be here with your family. It's okay that you're here and just quiet. It's okay if your lips don't move. The last thing we want you to do is feel like you have to move your lips even though you're not saying the word so that you're not judged by other people in the room. Sit here. Be quiet, sit while others stand, be quiet while others speak, listen, pray, cry. Let your soul benefit by listening to the voices of those who are in a different season, more acutely aware of reasons for gladness. Guys, seasons change. Some Sundays you'll be here suffering, other Sundays you'll be here singing praises, and it's right for you to be here for both and necessary for your soul and necessary for our family and, and glorifying to our Father. Our Father generously gives, and so by faith as a family, we sing praises to him. And James presses on. Listen, our Father generously heals, so by faith we, listen, ask others to pray for us when we can't pray for ourselves. James continues, verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The word James uses for sick literally means to be in a state of sickness or limitation, to be weary or to be fatigued to the point of exhaustion. And we should probably take this word at face value in the context. In, in, context. in fact, most scholars believe that James is writing here primarily about physical illness, somebody who's so physically unwell at home, they can't gather with the church. What do they need most? They need for uh, the elders of the church to come to them and pray over them. But we should also recognize that it's entirely possible to be sick, to be weary, to be fatigued to the point of exhaustion in other ways too, beyond physically, to include mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. And I would venture to say that's the experience for 90% of you here. It's not a physical unwellness. It's a, you're experiencing it in some other way, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, uh, mentally. When you go back to America and back to the small town that you come from where the church is 80% people 60 and over, then maybe it is mostly physical limitation and the prayer list is everybody's aunt and right, that. Like we, we know that too. Um, but, but here, probably not. It's probably a little bit different. And here's what you need to know. Here's what James is saying. Being sick or being fatigued in one area, it, it's, going to, it's going to affect all of you. You're not, you're not a person who can segment out your spirit or your physical health or your emotions. We are, uh, God created us as a being. And if you're unwell in one area, it, 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 it impacts all of you. And James says, if that's you, 
If you are unwell in any way to the point that you are exhausted and uh, fatigued and feeling unable to pray for yourselves, maybe you're doubting and, and don't feel like you can pray for yourself, ask for help from your family. Specifically, we are instructed here to call for the elders of the church so they can pray over you. Now, when we read of elders in the New Testament, we're reading about what we more commonly call pastors, right? You Probably most of you use that term, pastor. Um, notice, though, is that word here singular or plural? What's he say? It's plural. Call for the elders of the church. Healthy churches are led by a plurality of qualified men the Bible calls elders. Or maybe you'll see shepherds, overseers, bishops. Those words are used interchangeably throughout the New Testament to refer to the same office or function of pastoring, shepherding the church. It's important. This plurality protects us all from worshiping the wrong hero. Jesus is the hero. Don't worship any one pastor or spiritual leader or collections of pastors. What I do, don't put any of them on a pedestal. I just carry a little ax on my pedestal if I'm on a pedestal in your mind. So I can just constantly be chopping those legs out from underneath it. So I just fall sooner rather than later because I'm just telling you, you will be disappointed if you put somebody other than Jesus on a pedestal in your life. You will be, it's inevitable. And none of us deserve to be on that pedestal. It all points to Jesus, he's the hero. So don't worship any one pastor. The plurality also protects any one man from burning out as he tries to care for an entire church family. Nobody has that capacity. Many of you are in missional communities. Uh, I wish all of you were in missional communities, but in your missional community, one or two people primarily oversee and care for you. Uh, no one person should carry that burden even in a smaller setting. No human being has the capacity to care for people in that way. Only Jesus can. And uh, the plurality protects us from robbing the church of adequate care. God's design is for a plurality, a team of pastors. One thing that deeply encouraged me on summer sabbatical, really when I came back, I mean, I knew it all along, but um, when I came back, it was just confirmed for me. You guys were fine in my absence. In fact, so many of you are so new, especially like in the first hour, but even now, you didn't even know there was a guy that was gone. And that's awesome. You shouldn't, like, it, you were more than fine without me. Like, it's not like I checked out on my sabbatical and Jesus is like, all right, let's press the pause button. We're not going to work at any, on anything at Pillar um, until John gets back because everything rises and falls on him. Sadly, that's how many of us approach church culture and there's a guy at the top and he's the pastor and he can speak and does this and does that. Uh, that's not biblical. That's not the biblical pattern. So not only were you fine, you, you just quite frankly didn't even need me to come back. Can I just be honest? You grew spiritually while I was gone because Jesus never goes on sabbatical and he never lets his kid, he never lets you go. And because there are other pastors here caring for our church family. You don't need John Ransom. You don't need Grant Ellis. You don't need John Simberger, Michael Hewitt, Ron Coya, name any elder. They're not needed here. We need Jesus and his gospel and we need his life-giving spirit and a plurality of regular guys that God has called to lead and care for his church. So are you sick? Are you weary and fatigued? Please call one of our elders. You are no inconvenience to us. In fact, the men who have been appointed as elders for our church family are serving precisely for this very reason. Every one of us would consider it an honor to pray over you, to talk to our Father on your behalf, in your presence, particularly when you feel like you can't say the words yourself or your faith has grown so weak you don't want to say the words. 
we would consider it an honor to stand in and to pray over you and to talk to your Father on your behalf. But I also want you to know that we'll never be forced here. Um, it may be forced in some settings, mostly called cults. Um, this is something that you've got to choose, that you've got to want. We can't make you want this, nor would we want to make you want this. Um, so never forced, but eagerly accepted. If you ask for this, we will gladly and eagerly step into your life to pray, you, pray for you in this way. Uh, for the elders that are in the room, would you mind standing real quick? Um, Grant Ellis down front, he's on Kadena. We have Michael Hewitt, he's in the, in the south. He's south of the Mason-Dixon for Okinawa. He's down on Kinzer. And uh, John, is presently, John is presently in Yomitan. And Ron is, I'm gonna give directions to your house. Go down this road, go down the hill, and then I get lost. <laughs> it's the hardest house on this island to find. Um, but his contact information is not hard to find. You guys sit down. Every one of these guys have a cell phone or an email on the website. You can seek him out in person here. But please, I'm, I'm being serious about this, dead honest. We want you to reach out and to ask us for this. We will gladly accept. James tells the elders to pray over those who are sick in person. And he adds something that is probably foreign to most everyone here. Verse 14, anointing him with non-essential oils in the name, I was messing, just messing. Anointing him, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. I don't have feelings one way or the other. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Listen, all kidding aside, there's nothing magical about this anointing. The oil and the act of anointing are symbolic. Um, all through scripture, the act of anointing somebody with oil symbolized that person as being set apart for a special purpose. Um, or even for special attention, special care from the Father, or special work from the Spirit. In this case, then, anointing would be symbolic that we are setting you, the one who is presently unwell, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, setting you apart for special care from our Father through His Spirit. And so in this act, our hearts, our words, and our actions are, are united, just like when we believe the gospel, we rehearse the gospel, and we express it visibly and physically through communion or you follow Jesus and you express that out loud and visibly and physically through baptism. Same, same idea. This is the gift that our Father has given to us. And so in this act, our hearts, words, and actions are united, pleading with our Father to pay special attention to and to bring healing and restoration to the one, is unwell, to the one who is unwell. One more quick point of clarity. As a church family, as followers of Jesus, we believe that medical science is a gift of God's grace and should be pursued. Um, again, oil is not magical, nor is this meant to be a medicinal act. Some people will preach this like they've got this medicinal stash of oils. Again, I'm not, I'm not gonna go anywhere and pick on anybody here. I'm just letting you know. You'll often hear it medicinally and the elders somehow, like you get well because it's medicinal. But that's just not the case historically. And, and truthfully, uh, how many churches have elders who are licensed doctors? Do you want your elders coming over and practicing some medicine on your face with some oil? Like, unless you have a scalp condition or a face rash, this is just not gonna be a medicinal, medicinal thing for you, okay? So that's not what it is. And notice, James never restricts medical care, nor does any other author of scripture, nor does he substitute pastoral care for medical care. Like, if your faith is just good enough, your pastor should be enough, and you don't need doctors. And if you need doctors, you don't have enough faith. 
As followers of Jesus, we practice responsible stewardship, thanking him for the common grace of doctors and medicines. So you can go get your vaccinations. Just messing. You can do you on vaccinations. And we run to our sovereign, our sovereign father together, both at the same time. Medicine, science, doctors, gift of his grace, we practice good stewardship, but we also entrust ourselves to the sovereign care of our Father and we run to him for help. So are you sick? Are you weary? Guys, would you consider allowing our elders to pray over you in this way in the coming days or coming weeks? It really would be our honor. James says in verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has Committed sins, he will be forgiven. Jesus does the work in response to prayers of faith. The elders don't heal. The oil doesn't heal. Jesus heals in response to the prayer of faith when he wills it. And I add when he wills it because look at verse 14. In verse 14, James said to do this, to pray and to anoint with oil, what? In the name of the Lord, to do both of these things in the name of the Lord. Now, when James says Lord, he's talking specifically about Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name for at least two reasons, neither of which are magic formula or incantation. Saying in Jesus' name does not give extra punch to your prayer. Okay? It's not, again, like the oil. It's not, it's not magic. There are two very, very real reasons why we pray in Jesus' name. Here they are. The first one is it's only through Jesus that we have access to the Father. So when we say in Jesus' name, we're saying, Dad, we recognize that we don't deserve to be talking to you right now. We recognize the only reason we have access to you as a good father and a kind father is because of Jesus. So we're coming to you in his name, his reputation, not because we deserve everything, but because he's done everything to deserve this on our behalf, right? That's, that's what we're saying when we say in Jesus' name. The other thing that we're saying when we say, I pray all of this, I anoint you in uh, Jesus' name, is this. We're saying, we're saying, Jesus, you're king. Here are my desires. Here what I would want to see happen. Here's what we collectively are asking you for. But we recognize that you're king. Uh, we're praying by faith and we trust in your providence and we affirm your sovereignty in all things. We believe you can heal. We believe it. And so we're praying by faith and we know, we know that you will do what you deem best. So we pray by faith and we entrust the outcome to you. We ask for healing, and we trust your providential care over all things in Jesus' name. That's what it means. Our Father generously heals, so by faith we ask the elders to pray for us when we feel as though we physically, mentally, emotionally, or relationally simply cannot pray for ourselves. You'll notice also that James mentions sin in verse 15, and he seems to connect sin to the experience of sickness. Did you see that? Sometimes our sickness may be directly connected to our rebellion against the Father. Um, we could rattle off a bunch of examples, but maybe here's just one that's, that kind of stands out. Bitterness. You know how the writer of, of Proverbs talks about bitterness and the effect that it has on your body? I mean, that's all borne out through medical science. If you are like me, okay, here's a public confession. If you're like me and you're prone to slow forgiveness or no forgiveness, if you're prone to have hurtful words that have been said to you or whatever, 
to internalize those and for those to go down deep and to just bounce around and to hang on to those and not extend forgiveness and those seeds turn into bitterness and resentment, that has a profound physiological effect on your body and your mind and your soul that can be verified through medical science. That's probably one good example and I'm sure there are others. But there's an important word in this sentence. It's a little word and it's really important. Did you see it? If, it says if, if he has committed sin. So in other words, sometimes our sickness has absolutely nothing to do with any personal sin, but you live in a broken world, deeply broken world, a world that is under the curse of sin, and, 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 it, and there are deep and profound effects because of that. We saw this, uh, by example, in Jesus' own life, remember? He was gonna heal a man who had been born blind, and all the religious people wanted to blame somebody for his blindness. Well, clearly he's a sinful person, right? Clearly it was his parents. And Jesus had to say, no, it was, it was neither. There's a different reason. So that word if in that sentence is so important. Sometimes our sickness has absolutely nothing to do with any personal sin. But James is working to remind us that Jesus both heals and forgives. And it's in these moments that elders are called by the Father to provide soul care, not simply to pray for our physical ailments. Again, believing that our Father generously heals and our Father generously forgives. And because our Father heals and forgives, James says in verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Family, guys, this is how we will live with each other if we believe our Father is who he says he is. If we believe that faith-filled prayer is the pathway to healing and forgiveness and restoration, we will daily pray faith-filled prayers with and for each other. And if we believe what James is saying here, that confession is the pathway to healing for our souls, we would get after some pretty serious confession with each other. Confession and prayer are the pathways to forgiveness and healing for body and soul. Where confession and this kind of prayer are found, you will find a healthy church, a healthy missional community, or a healthy family. If you're praying for each other in this way, if you are confessing to each other your own sins, most of us tend to confess the other person's sins to each other, right? That's our normal confession. But if we confess our own and we pray for each other, uh, we will find a healthy church, a healthy missional community, a health, health, healthy family. But where confession and prayer are infrequent or non-existent, all kinds of unhealth will be found. Anemia, conflict, um, backbiting, gossip, slander, bitterness, you name it. So if your MC is feeling a little unhealthy right now, maybe this kind of prayer and personal face-to-face -face confession are lacking. If your family is struggling and it's just overwhelmed and consumed with personal conflict, probably this kind of prayer and this kind of confession are infrequent or absent altogether. Notice what else James does here. While he points out the special role, uh, a special and important role played by the elders of a church, he immediately lets us know that we don't just con confess sin to our pastors. We don't just receive prayer from our pastors. He says every member of God's family, every single member of this family has a God-given priestly role, get comfortable with that, priestly role, um, within the family. And what does that priestly role involve? Specifically here, our father calls us, if, if we have to be confessing sins to each other, somebody's gotta be doing the talking and somebody's gotta be doing the what? Receiving confession. Wow. 
And he calls us all to the priestly role of praying these kinds of prayers for each other. Listen, here's what that means. Your willingness to listen to another person's confession, your commitment to pray fervently for other members of this family helps bring healing and restoration and life for that person and for this family at large. That is absolutely incredible that our Father would give each of us that privilege and that responsibility. That's incredible. Does it seem out of reach to you? Does it seem out of reach to you that you as a normal person, an average person, could have that kind of impact in another person's life through your willingness to receive confession or to pray? Um, You wouldn't be alone. James, the guy who wrote this letter, I'm sure you guys have talked about it, he's brother of Jesus. You know, he used to think Jesus was crazy and all of this was out of reach. Let me just give you two examples. Here's John 7, 5. John says, not even his brothers believed him. This is pre-resurrection, pre-crucifixion, pre-resurrection. They didn't believe a thing he said. And here's my favorite one to kind of show Jesus' family dynamic. I don't know if you've seen it. Mark 3, 21. They were saying, look at this. Have you seen that before? Jesus is out of his mind. He's crazy. All this stuff he's talking about, that can't be real. Prayer doesn't mean anything. You're talking to an invisible person. What do you mean? I can pray and impact the well-being of another person. I can receive a confession, and through that receipt, a person will be on the pathway to restoration for their soul. That's crazy. But God, through the gospel, changed James's heart and mind. And post-resurrection, he would say of Jesus, we saw it in this letter, our Lord Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of glory. He does these things, and he does these things through his family. We need that. We need to see Jesus in this way. Otherwise, we won't practice these things. We'll hear it, and we'll be what James said. We'll be hearers, but not doers. The only thing that moves us to doing is to see Jesus for who he is. Yeah, he's, he's the Lord of glory. Then I'm going to pray this way. I'm going to gladly and humbly receive your confession, and, and please receive mine uh, because of Christ. James says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, not because of our prayers, but because of who we are praying to. Uh, He says the prayer of a righteous person doesn't mean a good person, doesn't mean an awesome Christian. A righteous person is somebody who is so aware of their sin and rebellion and so aware that they can't do anything to be declared right by the Father, have run from themselves and run to Jesus and by faith confessed their sin and received him as their Lord and King. That makes a person righteous. And then the daily living out of that righteousness is simply to stay close to Jesus, to submit to him, to confess my need to him, to repent of my sin. That's righteousness. And James says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working, but not because of our prayers, because of who we were praying to. Look, James points us to one of the heroes of the faith, Elijah. He says in verse 17, Elijah was a man, what? What's the first thing he says about him? He's a man with a nature just like us. So the story I'm about to tell you about James or Elijah praying and what happened, it's not because of him. It's not because of him. And you're just like him. And this invitation to pray and the outcome of prayer, like what can happen right here, that's extended to you too because you, get, you have the same privilege and responsibility that Elijah did. You get to pray to the same God who does the same powerful things for his glory and the good of people. Look at what Elijah prayed. He was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. That's incredible. Do we believe that can be reality when we pray? That's incredible. Our father extends to us the same opportunity 
the same responsibility. I really like this line. Then Elijah prayed again and, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Guys, that's life restored. There were three years of drought. There are many in our family today who feel as though they are living in three years drought. There are many in our family who need to know heaven from rain. There are many in our family who need life restored. Guys, the Father responds to faith-filled prayers on behalf of other people. The question is, will you pray that faith-filled prayer to the same God that Elijah prayed to who stopped the rain and then restored life through the rain after three years again? Our Father generously forgives and heals, so we confess our sins to each other and we pray for each other with some feeling, with some urgency, like it really matters, a sense of weight. Do we, though? Now, let me just ask this follow-up question. Who in this family do I regularly pray for in this way? Who do I pray to my father say, God, they need the rain to be sent. Please send the rain for their drought and restore their lives. Who are we praying for in that kind of passionate way? Not God, please help Ron to have a good day at school. Um, please help the seniors to like him. They don't think he's a weird teacher. Like, just, like we pray well-meaning, but just surfacey level kinds of prayers. Like, how about God, please send the rain to, to alleviate the drought in, in John's life. Who do we pray for in this way? Finally, we've got to wrap it up. You're going to be like, wow, welcome back from sabbatical, John. Take another one. Um, which I might, since Jesus demonstrated that he doesn't need me here and you all grew without me, I am actually planning my next sabbatical for a little later this fall. Not really. I'm staying here for a little while. But it's tempting. <laughs> all right, let's, let's close it down. Because our Father generously helps, gives, heals, and forgives, by faith we pursue wandering family members. Look at this. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Again, guys, an incredible privilege and responsibility. James gives us two reasons here why your church participation must go way beyond simply attending a worship gathering on Sunday mornings. Number one, when you wander, you need somebody in a church family who will know you well enough to see you wandering and care for you enough to risk saying something to you and pursue you to bring you back home. Non-negotiable. You need this. I need this. Number two, you need robust participation in the life of a church family so that when others wander, you know them well enough that you will see them and you will pursue and you will work to bring them back to the Father, not in condemnation, but for their restoration and good. You need that and I need that and every one of us in here, abs this is a non-negotiable. This is why God does not save orphans. He does not adopt you into, into, into singleness. He adopts you into a family. That's why you are a son and a daughter and a brother and a sister. And all of this is why we care so much about cultivating meaningful relationships that extend well beyond our Sunday mornings. It's why we care about our missional communities and our fight clubs because we're acknowledging that we each need the type of relationships within the family that allow for regular personal confession and heartfelt prayer. And listen, don't be everybody's hero. Um, we're talking one or two or three or four or five small groups of small pockets of people 
where you're known well and you know others well. So here's a question for you. Who within our family, your, this church family, your missional community, have you given permission to pursue you when you wander? Who have you looked in the eye and said, hey, when you see me start disbelieving that God's good, when you see me doubting, when you see me growing cold, when you see me not showing up, when you see me doing me and not caring for the family, when you hear me stop talking about Jesus or my relationship with him, pursue me and bring me back to dad. Please do this. And let me ask another related question. Who in our family are you aware of that needs your compassionate, merciful, gentle, loving pursuit this week? And will you go? Will you pursue? We were kids of the father whose heart won't stop in coming after us in Christ. So this is our nature. Our father generously helps, gives, heals, and forgives. And by faith, we pursue wandering family members. Let's pray. Father, we see a vision in the end of James of what you desire for your family. We see a vision here of what we want our family to be. We want it to be a place where there is uh, heartfelt prayer for each other, where there is confession, where there is healing and restoration and life. But we also understand that this is the hardest fought thing that any, any of us will ever participate in in life. It doesn't come naturally. Um, it's so difficult to see. It's like everything works against this kind of gospel-shaped gospel-saturated family. So Jesus, we are asking you by faith in the same way that you withheld the rain and then sent the rain in response to Elijah's prayer-filled, faith-filled prayer. Jesus, please send the type of rain that will saturate this family with the grace of your gospel so that we are filled with humility and gentleness and a passionate pursuit. We will love you and give praise to you and love each other well. And this will be the space where people can confess sin and know freedom of forgiveness and receive prayer for their brokenness. And we all feel the freedom to bring all of that junk into the light so that we can know your forgiveness and know your peace and know your restoration. May you incline the heart of every person in here to fight for that, for your fame, and for our good, and for the good of those who are watching our family and not even adopted in yet. Father, please do that in us by your grace. Please send that rain. Father, please be near the brokenhearted this morning. Please save the crushed in spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. (music) 